Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And we are just over a week or so away from the start of the 2024 Formula One season, which means we catch up with our Formula One correspondent, Hendrik. Hendrik, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. And I haven't had a chance to say Happy New Year to you yet. Happy New Year. <laughs> hey, Louis. Thanks, man. Yeah, nice to catch up with you again. And there, same to you. So normally I would think to myself, uh, what series of questions will I ask? And I would have to work out a few of, you know, in, in my mind. But for this particular interview, it's more a question of which question do I ask you first? And and I've worked it out that I'm going to start off with, I guess, what the biggest story in the closed season has been. Sir Lewis is on his way to the Ferrari team. How surprised are you at that? Well, I think I'm pretty much surprised and, and as surprised as, as most people in Formula 1. Most people did not see this one coming. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's just make make this point, Louis, that there's no doubt he's not going to Ferrari this year. People may get a little bit confused, but he's going to them next year in 2025. So he'll still be driving for, for Mercedes this year. And I think this place is well. First of all, why did he why did he decide to go? Um, his answer is that it's always been his dream uh, that he wanted to drive for Ferrari. Uh, he's getting towards the end of his career now, quite honest, uh, quite quite clearly. Um, you know, he's turning uh, I think 39 this year. Um, so he's he's obviously only ha- has a few a few years of competitive racing left. And if it's your dream to drive for Ferrari and they come knocking at, you, at your door. Uh, why not? You've already got seven world championships. There's a possibility, although maybe a rather small one, that you could get an eighth before you go to Ferrari. But there's also then the possibility that Ferrari could be competitive this year and carry on in 2025 to be competitive as well. And another possibility of an eighth title and this time with Ferrari. So, you know, I think that's that's the sort of scenario that we are facing with and, and, and uh, that he faced. Maybe he saw something at Ferrari. We don't know. Um, that made him decide that he has a better chance uh, at a world title from 2025 onwards. Let's not forget that that would be the last year of the current technical uh, dispensation before in 2026 the whole thing gets turned around again. Um, and maybe he saw something at Mercedes that, that made him think, oh, I'm not so sure that we're going to be competitive this year, but my contract says that I have a, an escape clause at the end of 2024, so let's take it. I think that's probably the most one can say about it at the moment. Has it been a good decision? We won't know. Well, there have been other drivers who've done it um, and left teams and gone there and been successful, um, and they've helped make the team successful, the Michael Schumachers, the Nigel Mansells of the world, Alan Prost, and so on. Um, but I, I, what, what I found surprising about the decision, not that he's going, because as you quite rightly say, I guess everybody's boyhood dream for some reason or other is to drive for Ferrari, and we all had one up on our wall when we were kids and whatever. But was the early announcing of this decision, even before the 2024 season, that had a, 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 um, a session of, of, of anything, any sort whatsoever, even cars hadn't yet been revealed? Yeah. Well, I think I think there are probably a number of reasons. I think the most important was that, you know, these talks tend to leak out. So I think what they were trying to do is to avoid it being an issue for the entire season and overshadowing everything else, because it would would have had they not made it uh, made it known. 
Um, so uh, I think that's the main reason, you know, take the decision and announce it so that we le- that we avoid all, all speculation uh, for the rest of the season. So everybody now knows what the situation is. Um, I think uh, just just something that I may, uh, that I should have mentioned a little bit earlier on is I think one of the other reasons that, that he decided to go was he and Fred Vasseur, the team principal at Ferrari, go a long way back. Uh, uh, Lewis drove for him in the junior categories, uh, so they know each other well. I'm pretty sure that one day when when Mr. Vasseur's uh, autobiography comes out, he will say that when he took the job at Ferrari, my first pr- priority was to try and get Lewis Hamilton there. Uh, yeah. So I think I think that's probably another of the reasons why why this whole thing happened. But uh, yeah, I think I think the main thing is you know take the decision and announce it and get it get it over with. Do you believe that Toto Wolf was in the dark until the eleventh hour about this decision? I mean, I can't work that out and believe that's true. Well, he says that uh, that he he, uh, he made a phone call uh, to to Lewis and that they were going to have their usual annual get together at his home at at uh, Toto's home uh, to de- you know to discuss the season uh, season ahead, and that at that meeting um, Lewis told him about the decision. Uh, which which uh, which sounds like Lewis Hamilton that he would actually do that face to face instead of just doing it by a phone call uh, that a lot of other drivers would have done, um, and it, I think it also shows the nature of the relationship between Toto Wolf and Lewis Hamilton. You know that they are honest with each other. Um, I have no reason to believe that Toto um, knew about it because he said he didn't know about it, and, and yeah. Toto is not the kind of guy who lies. So yeah. uh, he said he didn't know about it beforehand, um, but he said he wasn't surprised. And of course, when they did uh, did do the negotiations for Lewis's Mercedes uh, contract for this year and, in fact, next year, um, they both both parties agreed to an escape clause at the end of the first year. In other words, at the end of 2024. So he would have known of the possibility that Lewis could maybe make a make a move but uh, I I'm I'm not well I don't think that he knew about the Ferrari thing beforehand. Uh, interestingly um, uh, Charles Leclerc says that he knew about it and a number of other drivers say that there were hints that they that they picked up about it but they didn't know about it officially obviously until the announcement came. Right let's we'll get on to the actual cars and and what we expect of the season soon but there's been so much going on. Um Let's talk about uh, Christian Horner, shall we? Um, <laughs> lots of stories going around uh, impropriety and, and, and things that perhaps uh, he shouldn't have done or didn't do or did do. And, and it's put a bit of a mark on, on, on the Red Bull team before the season. Yeah, and unfortunately, whether he's found to be, let's say, guilty in, in, in quotes or not guilty, it doesn't really matter. This sort of thing tends to stick. Um, you know, um, accusations of improper behavior towards a female colleague. Uh, that smacks of sexual uh, harassment. Uh, I don't know the facts. Uh, I don't think anybody at, at the moment know, knows the facts officially, uh, except for maybe the, the advocate that, that did the initial interview with him. But what is, yeah. what is the official situation at the moment is that uh, there is an investigation done by Red Bull, the main organization, the, the, you know, the, the Red Bull company, not the Formula One team. So Red Bull yeah. as a company is uh, investigating it at the moment. 
uh, Christian has denied all allegations. He, uh, and, and at the launch of the new car last week, uh, he actually said that it's business as usual. It wasn't. He did admit that it was a distraction, but uh, he said it's business as usual. He has not resigned yet. Um, and uh, the FIA, the world governing body, has not got involved yet, although they can. Formula One as an organization, uh, in other words, uh, Liberty Media, they, they made a statement last night, in fact, saying that they hoped that this would be uh, uh, done uh, as quickly as possible. The investigation is uh, completed as quickly as possible. Obviously, they don't want this cloud to hang over, you know, at least the start of the season. Um, there was a story in the Times newspaper yesterday, which is a very reputable uh, newspaper, as you know, in Britain, uh, saying that there could be a resolution to the whole thing this week. Obviously, this week is important in Formula for Formula One, and we may get to that because testing starts on Wednesday, the, the only testing session Wednesday to Friday, and uh, the following weekend is the start of the season. Um, so, you know, these things need to get resolved from everybody's point of view as soon as possible. Otherwise, it's going to be a cloud. I'm not saying he's guilty or not. I'm saying that uh, the situation is there is an investigation, and until that investigation comes to a conclusion, uh, you know, I think one should one should be careful about what one says about these things. But I think it is a fact that whatever the outcome is, this is going to hang over him. Um, and whether that is going to destabilize the team, whether that's going to affect him uh, in his position, that's still yet to be seen. Okay. Now, normally when team principals come and go, it's a little story and we go, ah, so what, and half the population who watch Formula One don't really know uh, much about team principles, especially when the team's coming last in the season. But <laughs> this Steiner, I mean, what a blow to all of us Grand Prix fans. <laughs> because, I mean, he's the man, isn't he? I mean, what happened there? Well, Gunther Steiner became a star thanks to uh, the Drive to Survive series on Netflix, really. Um, and just as an aside, the next series starts on Friday, this coming weekend. Um, so he really became a star thanks or due to his colorful language <laughs> um, and, yes. his, and his personality. So, uh, yes, as, as, a, as, a, as a PR um, asset to Formula One, I think that's a loss. Um, as a team principal, he never really was any, any, uh, successful in any large way, uh, given what he was given to work with. Um, uh, we know that Gene Haas, the, the owner of the team, uh, basically said to him, here's an amount of money, get the team going, and from there you find the money to keep going. Um, it's surprising that they did relatively well to finish inside the top, well, outside, uh, uh, top five, I think, was their best result as a constructor over the years since they came in in 2016. Uh, and 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 really not not very consistent after that. So success and in terms of competitiveness, not really. But as a personality, yes, absolutely a loss. Um, and it's quite clear that the new team principal, a, a Japanese guy who was um, uh, who came in, who came up uh, through the ranks inside the team, um, his name is Ayu uh, Komatsu, uh, and now he's got no connection to the to the to the heavy industry company Komatsu, but uh, that's his surname. Uh, he's certainly not the same kind of personality. Um, how effective he's going to be? Well, that will depend on, on on how he uses the resources at his disposal this season. Right. Let's get into the car, car or cars, shall we? You mentioned testing at uh, the uh, middle of the week. That's coming up. Um, 
generally we can't really read much into the testing because uh, some cars do exceptionally well in testing and then can't finish the first race and others don't do so well and then like a Red Bull goes and wins the first series of races. Um, how much can we take out of what we expect in testing? As you say, this year, this week, uh, you know, uh, the first time that the 2024 cars will, will turn a wheel in anger, well, not quite in anger, they'll be testing, they'll be turning wheels in anger the following weekend uh, in Bahrain for the first race of the weekend of the, of the season. But yeah, um, I think, I think the interest really is, is the design uh, directions that the different teams took uh, for the 2024 cars and to see how effective they are and to see whether, you know, that would increase a particular team's competitive, uh, competitiveness or not. Um, if we, if we take it from, from, from the top, the interesting thing is really from, uh, from Red Bull, if we take it from, uh, in, in the order in which they finished last year, Red Bull with their RB20 came out with a design that, that really blew a lot of people's minds. Because the and I'm talking about the chassis design. There's, there's, there's yeah. nothing nothing about the engine at the at the, at the moment anyway. Uh, the chassis design is is radically different. Not no, not radically different, but substantially different from from last year. It's not just an evolution from last year. They've come up with a number of aerodynamic solutions that that have made people's eyebrows rise. Um, particularly uh, the side uh, the, the 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 inlets of the of the side pods. Uh, seem to be uh, almost uh, a copy of the uh, of the Mercedes design of a number of years ago. This their so-called zero pod design. They've got a vertical uh, air inlet instead of a horizontal air inlet. Uh, so people are saying, if Adrian Newey has come up with another, uh, you know, brilliant idea, what is for, is, is Formula One going to face this year with an, with a Red Bull that is even even faster than last year? So I think the interest is, you know, does that translate into lap time and and if it does i'm sure it does uh, to what extent uh, and to what extent and and uh, will we see any of that in during testing i somehow doubt it although you know with only one testing session of three days pre-season teams have to at some point find their maximum performance and, and and see what what they can do so at some point during three days some teams are going to have to, you know, perform at their maximum. And I think that is what we're going to look out for. So I don't want to go through all the teams in terms of their designs, um, Louis, because I'm certainly not an expert. But I think the interesting one was the, was the new Red Bull. And then uh, Mercedes came up with a, with a brand new concept uh, in terms of their design uh, as opposed to last year, as did Ferrari. So it's going to be interesting to see those two uh, big teams are they going to be closer to red bull mclaren is basically continuing with an evolution of last year's car that was very effective towards the end of the season aston martin basically the same thing they they started strong then they fell back last year and then they came back a little bit stronger um alpine is a is a, a, a an evolution from last year williams we haven't seen the new williams yet we've seen the new color scheme or their their their, their uh, design uh, but we haven't seen that um, the new car yet. We'll only see that on Wednesday. Um, RB, uh, or as they, they call themselves, uh, VCARB, <laughs> Visa, what? Visa uh, Cash App RB, which is an abomination as a t- as team name as far as I'm concerned. They came up with, with a, a pretty new design as well. Then there's Sauber. I think we'll call them Sauber this year because they have two different names depending on 
on legislation uh, governing um, um, uh, lotteries and things in the different countries. That somehow, sometimes they're going to be kick sauber and sometimes they're going to be uh, um, stake sauber. Uh, so that's that's another another confusing situation. And Haas basically just continued with what they did last year. So uh, that's more or less a very short. Um, summary of what the, the new designs are and, and what we can expect for next year, next season. Just, just, let's just talk a little more about Red Bull for those people who are not au fait with Formula One and they're saying to themselves, well, why fix it if it ain't broke? I mean, they were so dominant last year. Just explain to people the millisecond per lap that they can gain, what advantage it has over everybody else, and why that adage of don't fix it if it ain't broke doesn't apply in Formula One. Well, um, a Formula One team is never satisfied. Never. doesn't matter whether they are completely dominant or uh, wherever they are in the order. So a Formula One team always tries to find another little edge, another little advantage in terms of lap time that they can find. And if one thinks about it, if you can find a tenth of a second per lap over a 60 or a 70 lap race, that's more than a minute quicker than, 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 than anybody else, basically. Uh, so, no. Um, if you can find a second a lap, I'm trying to illustrate something. If you can find a second a lap and you have a 60-lap 60, 60 race, then you uh, are 60 seconds ahead of everybody else. So what you're trying to do is find a tenth of a second or even a hundredth of a second or sometimes even a thousandth of a second uh, to make that difference. And all those little uh, fractions of a second add up uh, to, to being more competitive. Um, and, well, as you say, Red Bull, they were so dominant last year uh, but what they, their attitude would be as as the leading team is what if somebody else finds something that we don't know about and beat us this year? So let's not take that chance. Let's try and find that uh, that advantage ourselves. So uh, that's exactly what they what they've been doing. Um, Adrian Newey, the designer, has come up with a number of of interesting design concepts. Uh, and as I said, we'll see how effective that is. A Formula One team always wants to improve. If you don't improve then you stand still. That's the old adage in Formula 1. If you do not improve, you are standing still or you're going backwards because the other guys are all improving. So the guys have clearly, well, some of them have had lovely holidays uh, on expensive yachts and beautiful girls all around them. Uh, the usual protagonists will have been in the gym and doing whatever they were doing. Um, how much more competitive do you think the drivers can be? Obviously, the car is a big factor, but is everyone chasing Max again this season? Yeah, I think pretty much so. Um, it's 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 always the case that the guy who's who won last year is he's got the target on his back. Uh, that's the way the sport works. So um, everybody is going to gun for Max Verstappen. I think uh, what is going to be interesting, uh, one of the interesting storylines for the season is how is his teammate Sergio Perez going to do? Is he going to be as uh, overshadowed this year as as he was last year? And for, will he therefore lose his seat? And that opens up a few possibilities for 2025 that we <laughs> we spoke about 2025 earlier on. Um, uh, and the same thing um, with with the competitors for Formula One, ah, for uh, Red Bull. You know, I mentioned Mercedes, I mentioned Ferrari. Uh, I think everybody would love to see uh, a more competitive situation up front. Uh, what, what, a, what a lot of people tend to forget uh, or, or leave out uh, 
is the battle that that raged behind Max Verstappen, not even behind Sergio Perez last year, but behind Max Verstappen. If you look at, at qualifying, um, in most cases uh, last year, the field is so close that one second covers the entire field. Uh, yeah. So and 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 during during the races, you often saw those that Max Verstappen, uh, where he disappeared into the distance. There were huge battles behind him for second place and further down and and for the minor placings. I know that's a bit of a of a distraction, but uh, because everybody wants to see a battle up front, me too. Uh, and I hope that we're going to see this. This is the third year of the current dispensation. And what often and what usually happens, Louis, is that um, technically the teams converge. Uh, they find solutions that, 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 that they find are the best solutions uh, in, in the current set of regulations. And so, therefore, their designs converge and their performance converge. Uh, towards the end of the of the of the dispensation, uh, we've got this year and next year before 2026, uh, when the big changes happen again. So for this year and next year, everybody's sort of expecting uh, the the performance gap to be smaller, or hoping rather that the performance gap would be smaller because of that factor, because of the convergence factor every year. So uh, they will be chasing Max, absolutely. Um, I suspect he will be caught uh, on a number of occasions, maybe not over the entire season, but uh, on a number of occasions, hopefully somebody else will be challenging him for the lead, and challenging him for the victory and actually getting those victories. So before um, the commentators get the opportunity to discuss this, let's you and I discuss it because it's, it's going to be a topic throughout the whole season. 2025, there are two extremely valuable seats available. We know there's one at Mercedes and we know there's one at Ferrari. Um, do you think somebody in the current field might fill those two seats or... Uh, is a guy by the name of Rosberg perhaps coming back into the equation to Mercedes? What do you think? Yeah, I've, I've seen those rumours, and I don't, I don't think much of them. I don't think there's any chance that that uh, Mr. Rosberg is going to come back. The last time that he raced competitively was in 2016, so <laughs> there's no way in 2025 that he's going to be coming back and and be competitive. Um, I also saw a rumor that Sebastian Vettel might come back uh, and, and join Mercedes. That, I think, for the same reason, is not going to happen. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the, uh, the, the, Ferrari, the Ferrari situation is sorted because Charles Leclerc has a long-term contract. So for 2025, it's Leclerc and, and Hamilton. And what's going to happen at Mercedes? Well, that's the interesting thing because there's a young man called Andrea uh, Kimi Antonelli. Uh, yeah. I remember that name. Uh, he's 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 a he's very highly rated. Uh, currently racing in uh, in in the Formula Three, I think it is, and he's going to be joining the Formula Two field this year. He's a he's a signed Mercedes driver. He was signed by them when he was uh, by Toto Wolff, in fact, when he was 13 years old. He's now 17, uh, so he is in the Mercedes camp. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that he's being groomed for for the Lewis Hamilton seat at Mercedes in 2025. Uh, that will depend on how well he does in Formula Two this year, um, and there's a there's a real possibility that he could be that he could be the replacement for Hamilton in 2025 next to George Russell because Russell has got a longer term contract. He will stay there. So uh, uh, Andrea Kimi Antonelli, we know <laughs> uh, his his parents uh, f- Formula One hero. 
Um, so keep an eye on that name. And there's the other possibility. And I do not actually discount this possibility. And that is that uh, that Fernando Alonso might might even decide to go because he is now he's now sort of positioning himself in in, in more or less every interview that he's giving. Uh, he's saying that he's feeling strong. He's currently, I think, 43 um, or something like that. Um, and he says he's still feeling very motivated. He says he's still um, uh, available should any team come knocking. Uh, net, wink, wink. Um, and, and he says he's, he's quite sure that he will be able to carry on until he's 50 years old. So he's, he's positioning himself to be available should Mercedes come knocking. And let's 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 say why why not. Uh, get, get Fernando Alonso in there. I, uh, personally, I would be very surprised if that happens. I think I think the the longer term uh, future lies with with Russell and and probably Antonelli. Um, so there's the, the there's the 25 conundrum. What happens there? Then of course I mentioned it earlier on as well. What happens with Sergio Perez's seat at Red Bull in 2025? Yeah. His contract runs out at the end of this year. Perez, and if he really, if he doesn't come up uh, with a magnificent season and and consistently uh, challenges Max Verstappen, um, I think his uh, his season or his his contract will be not be renewed at the end of the season. So there's a possible big opening for 2025 at Red Bull. Um, so those are the two big ones. I think uh, a little bit further down, uh, McLaren is sorted out with Piastri and, and Norris in the long term. Um, Aston Martin, as I said, Fernando Alonso might might be con- contemplating a move to Mercedes. Lance Stroll is probably at the Aston Martin for as long as he wants to be. Um, and then further down, we've got situations at Alpine, Williams. Um, there's, there, there are strong uh, uh, rumors uh, uh, linking Alex Albon from, from Williams to Mercedes. Um, uh, and in fact, also linking him to Red Bull. So that's going to be interesting what uh, Alex Albon going to do because he's he's certainly impressed very, very, uh, he was very impressed at Williams the last season and he's probably now at the level where he would be a very good uh, oppor- uh, a choice for, for either Mercedes um, or Red Bull. So, yeah, no, the, I think, you know, the 2025 silly season has already started. Yeah, it doesn't say much for Formula One when you and I are having discussions about Alonso, Vettel, um, (laughs) thinking about them getting back into Formula One. Right, let's get on to the track quickly before we end uh, this podcast. And two Saturday races to start the season. Uh, Next Saturday, Bahrain, and the following Saturday, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Um, I guess we'll, we'll know after testing this week, a little bit better as to what we can expect, but I, I don't suppose you think anything more than Red Bull domination, certainly for the first couple of races of the year, unless there's a mechanical breakdown of some sorts or an accident on a corner or something. Yeah, let's just quickly clear up why those two races happen on the Saturday. Um, the reason is that the, uh, that Ramadan starts on on Sunday, the 10th of March. So therefore, the Saudi Arabian and Bahrain Grand Prix. Uh, could uh, well the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix couldn't be on the 10th of March. Uh, it had to be on the Saturday. So you have to have a week bef- between races, uh, according to regulations. So because Saudi will be the 9th of March, the Saturday, Bahrain the week before the race before that must be on the 2nd of March. 
so that's basically the reason. Um, yeah, I think I think we probably, as usual, Louis would have to wait a little bit longer before we see a, a comparative order emerging or a, a, an accurate comparative order. Uh, Bahrain is a proper racetrack. Saudi Arabia, Jeddah is not a proper racetrack. It's a street track. It's an evening race also. Australia uh, back in in in, um, in Melbourne on the 24th of March, and then the Japan on the 7th of April. So I think by the 7th of April, by Japan, um, we will have had three uh, races on proper Grand Prix circuits that that will probably give you the uh, a relatively accurate uh, picture of where every team stands relative to the others. So. Yeah, I don't think we should put too much into it, but it will certainly be very interesting to see what the result of the first qualifying session uh, for the first race, the Bahrain Grand Prix. Henrik, we look forward to a fantastic season. We look forward to chatting to you periodically through the season and uh, have yourself a, a wonderful week ahead. Thank you so much for joining us on tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll talk to you again tomorrow evening. As always, be nice to each other. Until next time, bye for now. Okay. There we go.